Cool Hand Podcast, something you got to deal with. Welcome back to the show. I am your host. My name is Q. Another interview in the building. Um, let me have you introduce yourself first, and then I'm going to relay an anecdote, anecdote um, for whoever's listening and or watching. Oh, man, I can't wait for the anecdote. I think I know what it is. <laughs> but uh, so Ryan Lloyd here, um, and today we're going to interview a homeschooled video game nerd. And hopefully we're gonna make that sound a lot less painful than it sounds. Absolutely. Um, a homeschooled video game nerd. I think that's gonna be the title of, <laughs> that was good. All right, now, Ryan, you've been here before, but uh, the person who is listening or watching this doesn't know you, and I'll tell, and I, and I'll tell you why because Ryan's been here before is because he, I interviewed Ryan before, maybe three weeks ago, maybe even a month ago. I don't know. And uh, we did a whole interview and I did not have my audio interface, which my mic, my microphone is hooked up to. That's where all the sounds go into this mic. And, uh, and to the interface, I can't explain all that technical stuff. But anyway, my computer mic or laptop mic was on and it was picking up my audio and my voice rather than my actual microphone. So when I went to go edit this episode and listen to it, it sounded disgusting. It sounded like it wasn't even appropriate. Um, his audio was fine, but mine just, my computer mic didn't sound good um, when it was recorded. So Ryan was kind enough, very kind enough and generous enough with his time to, uh, do this, to redo this interview. And it's and so also here we are. night. Yeah, exactly. I'm school video game nerd too. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I, I say that around the house. So <clears throat> let's get right back into the, the, uh, the interview. Um, Ryan, um, we, we brought you on to the show um, because, as many people know who keep up with this, uh, I interview creatives. Um, we've had chefs on here. We've had bartenders on here. We've had DJs, um, poets, uh, musicians, all creative things. Um, but uh, we have something new, and I always like having something new here because there's many different avenues of creativity that um, I just never thought of. So uh, what specifically is your creative outlet? So as mentioned, homeschooled and video game nerd. So as a kid, I was homeschooled, and that gave me a lot of time to bum around the house, which was really nice. And one of the things that I liked a whole lot was, still is, video games. So I started spending a little bit of time learning how to develop them, how to ROM hack old games, and so forth. Just the whole gamut. And from that, you know, went into programming and reached out into other stuff that is uh, related to game development, like audio, art, and other things. And, I have fun with it, but I'm, my strong suit is definitely programming, game design, and that's the short of it. Now we're going to get the long of it. That's the short version. Programming, game design. Uh, let's, let's take it back. Let's take it back to your roots and your beginning. So you already mentioned that you were homeschooled and things like that, and you had time to, uh, to learn certain things about uh, programming as you were coming up. So um, what was life like growing up um, outside of um, uh, learning how to uh, do things at home regarding electronics? Um, what was life like for you, for Ryan? Well, it was, uh, 
The thing about homeschool is you have a lot of time. Because if you think about public school and all the time that you spent between classes in study hall, maybe, or just whatever they did to pad out the so many hours a day, bus ride even, and you cut all that out and you basically just boil it down to the homework almost. And a day of school looks like two or three hours. And so too, you can kind of, as you get older, get into the later grades, you can structure things the way you like. You can have two days worth of work done in a day and then take the next day or two off or however you want to go about it. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I think it was seventh, I took algebra one or pre-algebra and I was lazy. I'd do, I structured in such a way that I'd do my entire week's worth of algebra on Monday. I just kind of plow through it. That was pretty clever because now I have less time spent on algebra. But then come the next week, you know, it builds on the previous lesson and I come to it and I'm just lost because I crammed and you know, that only lasts for a day or two. So anyway, I learned to get around that and to schedule my time out. But other than that, it was me and my younger brother. Uh, outside of school, it was me and my younger brother making things. So and even if they weren't of the highest quality, we just like to make things. So that would include you know, music, flash animation, programming and games, um, ROM hacking older, Super Nintendo, NES games like Super Mario World, and just uh, whatever else we could think of. Just creativity. And uh, I remember we talked about this last time, but let's, that was something peculiar to me, the ROM hacking Super Mario games. Um, first of all, now let's, let's dissect this for someone who is uh, ignorant like me when it comes to these topics. What is ROM hacking? Let's even cut that in half. What is ROM it's a good question. So in the old days, we had these things called cartridges. And on these cartridges would be a ROM file, which is short for read-only memory. Okay. It's just some data that is meant to be read by the machine, and the machine does a thing with it. And so you think about Super Mario World came on a cartridge. You know, it's got all the pictures in it, pictures of Mario, Yoshi, the whole world, all the enemies. It's got map data of how all that stuff's laid out in different maps, different levels. It's got a lot of programming, determining what the rules are and how Mario acts and behaves when you press a button, when he hits an enemy, all that good stuff. So anyway, that's what a ROM is. So ROM hacking is when you take that and you, you kind of edit it. Now the thing of it is, it's not in the most user-friendly format when it's on a cartridge. It's all compressed and it's not like human readable source code. So really there's two ways to go about ROM hacking. Uh, the first and the hardcore way is to you know, just bust out a disassembler yourself, look at all the bits and bytes, which is not an easy thing to do. It just looks like a bunch of random data that could be anything and just start finding patterns and seeing what you can edit and what it does. Now the easier way, and this is what 10 year old Ryan did is there would be tools, you know, pre-built by members of the, the ROM hacking community, such as it is. And you could just plug a ROM into that and it would show you all the images. It would show you like a, a window that has the map in it and you can drag and drop things into the map, move them around with the mouse, really easy. And so that's how uh, we got started with ROM hacking. It's funny you talk about 10 year old Ryan. <laughs> when I was 10, I was like, <laughs> like fighting with my brother and like, you know, throwing basketballs at people and y you know what I mean? Like but we had that too. <laughs> um, just, I, I just think it's amazing how, um, you know, there's a couple years apart from us, a couple years difference, but just the different upbringings people had and the things that um, ones were exposed to. Now, I went through a real, a real nerdy phase myself. You know what? Dork. Dork was a better, is a better word. There's a difference between 
um, a nerd and a dork, in my opinion. I was more of a dork um, for a little bit, but um, I was never that interested in dissecting things the way you did. So I think even at a young age, the ability to manipulate electronics, to manipulate a virtual reality, in a sense, is would you call that? Oh, now that's being charitable. <laughs> to manipulate something, I think it's amazing. So in what ways were you and your brother able to, um, what effect did this ROM hacking have on Super Mario? Well, nothing too truly spectacular. Um, a lot of the rules of the game, such as it were, were, you know, written in this difficult to understand language that, 10-year-old Ryan really had no hope of understanding. So, you know, we're not going to give Mario a jetpack and a laser rifle and have him fly around to the moon. But we are going to be able to move some things around, make some new levels, and just play around and see how it all works. And just be like, hey, look what I made it do, you know? <laughs> but uh, something you had said made me think of this. Uh, one of the things that had influenced me was my dad. Um, when I was about, I think five years old or so, he had started making his own Atari game for the Atari 5200. And, uh, you know, at the time, the Atari is a very old console. And, but even so, I thought it was just one of the coolest things in the world that he was making this game uh, just by, from scratch, just on his own. And, it was called Coffee the Yellow Copter. Um, you play as this helicopter, you had to put out forest fires that are being caused by this, this evil storm cloud. And so you had to collect raindrops that were falling from the sky, use them to put out the fire. There'd be little animals underneath the trees, you had to go rescue them. And all the while, you've got to keep bumping into the cloud to get it to go away. <laughs> and so the first three stages, you fight the cloud. His name is Pyro. You fight Pyro the Cloud. And then the fourth stage was a boss fight. You had to fight Pyro's mom, who takes up the entire screen, just this massive cloud. And then the game repeats, as games in those days used to do. Just be harder and faster, you know? Yeah. And then later on, he made a second game, um, Adventure 2. Before I talk about that, the way he made the coffee cartridges, he did all this. He, he promoted it a little bit through a site called Atari Age. And he made a, a limited run of actual cartridges. That, that people could order. And so the way that he produced them, there were about a hundred or so, he got a bunch of old Pac-Man carts and he just, he ripped the sticker off them, opened them up, took the old EEPROM out, put his in, sealed it up, pasted on the label that somebody else had made. Mm -hmm. And so for like a good month or so, that was the garage. It was the, uh, the Atari cartridge sweatshop. Yeah. <laughs> so all that stuff, you know, was pretty influential on me. Um, I was like age, ages five to eight and just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Later on, he made another game called Adventure 2. It's a sequel to Adventure, actually, for the Atari 2600. And Adventure, it's a game, it's kind of like Legend of Zelda before there was a Legend of Zelda. So he was making a sequel to it and probably about halfway through, and he gets contacted by Atari. And Atari issues him a cease and desist because they still technically own the copyright, mm -hmm. even though it's been 30-odd years since they used it. Uh, so eventually, he did manage to get in touch with them, and they worked something out that he was able to use the name. He wasn't too terribly worried. Like He, just, he said, well, if I can't use the name, we'll call it like Quest for the Golden Chalice or something. Just bypass the whole thing. But sure enough, they eventually gave him their blessing and he got to use a name, Adventure 2. I think that is so cool. I think the fact that a big company like that took the time out, their legal department took the time out to contact, you know, in your case, your dad, and send a, a legal notice for him to stop what he's doing or else they'll take action you can put that in a negative light, but I just think it's pretty cool. Like you think about something, it's like. Yeah, I'm important I, enough to be noticed. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm important enough to send a, a cease and desist to. Mm -hmm. I'm a threat. I don't know if you want to put it in a positive light. You can, <laughs> Hey, 
<laughs> I'm bothering them. So it's, uh, yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. And, and that's, that's something that I wanted to get into as well. So you got to witness from a very young age, um, your own father creating. So he definitely, you just explained to us that your dad has that creative side in him. So mm -hmm. um, it, I guess it would be safe to say that you, you get it from your pops. Yeah, I think so. Now, what else, what else and or who else um, influenced uh, what you ended up doing um, creatively with uh, the video games or anything else electronically? Um, otherwise, it was just, uh, you know, mostly the media you consume, like a uh, big fan of like mascot platformers from the 90s and 2000s, you know, like Crash Bandicoot, Sonic the Hedgehog, similar. So those had a big influence a lot that a lot of the games that I've made, uh, you can see clear influences from those. And uh, beyond that, nothing too terribly interesting. Nothing as interesting as that, at least. Mm -hmm. So we have the old school games. We have your dad. We have those influences. Now, let's get into um, your career choice and how that you know affects or has a even an influence over what you do now now how would you describe your work and we don't have to name the company and all that we're not going to get too com too too comfortable with you no worries so over the past couple of years um, i have had just a bunch of jobs in technology from like just worked at a hospital for a little while ran around replacing computers. That was my entire job. Look on the network, um, see which Windows XP computers remain, go track down where they physically are, which was mostly playing detective work, like uh, showing up to some office in the hospital. Hey, have you guys, like, do you have like a computer in a closet somewhere you haven't touched in the better part of a year or longer? Mm -hmm. And that was always the one. Some of those are pretty nasty too. Like glued to the floor with, I don't even know what. Uh, there was a lot of hand washing done. <laughs> but, and then later on, um, like help desk stuff. And then later on, still more programming and development stuff. And right now I'm something of like, a, I don't even know what you'd call it. Um, the company kind of gives me clients to deal with. And I, I kind of just come up with solutions, whatever that might be. Might be writing something custom for them or having somebody else configure something or even kind of defining what exactly it is they're going for. <laughs> so I don't even know what you'd call what I do now. It's just whatever hat I need to wear. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the show Martin. Mm -mm. Big show in the black community. Oh. <laughs> it was a show in the 90s, and there was a character named Tommy, and nobody knew what he did. <laughs> and the main thing that they said to Tommy, because he could never describe what he did, the assumption was, Tommy, you ain't got no job. <laughs> and as you were describing what you do, like it's like, you know, they give me something to do. He's you making know? something up. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Ryan, yeah. you don't have a job. <laughs> no, but... um. That's what it made me think of. Um, yeah. Do you have a DVD player? Um, I think I've got some like peripheral somewhere that okay. reads DVDs. It's been a some, while. I got some Martin DVDs. I don't know <laughs> that I want to lend you. I, I do. That's <laughs> just at least just give, give the show a try. See if it's uh, up your alley. But anyway, back to the main subject. So either Ryan doesn't have a job <laughs> or it's very... Very illegal. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing on the show, too. That was yeah. another thing on the show that, that was a topic about Tommy's job. All right. But he has a job. I, I, he has a job, y'all. But um, <clears throat> now, back to the subject at hand. Um, we talked about your influences and what you do for work. Now, um, you went to school for this. Uh, for the for the people who are who might be a nerd at home, 
who has an interest in these things. Um, I know you did go to school for it, but um, can you talk about your schooling and what you learned through it? Absolutely. So I went to a community college, Westmoreland Community College, and uh, so at the time, what, what I went for was information security. My reasoning was, well, I got kind of a handle on the whole programming thing, so, you know, and this seems interesting. I'll branch out into this. And I did. And community college, as you can imagine, you know, some of the classes are kind of pathetic. Uh, I remember distinctly one question on a test was, it was a true or false question. And it said, true or false, a computer can be damaged by water. Mm. And at that moment, I, I looked at the question and I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm paying for this. <laughs> uh, I think I made that sound exactly. <laughs> and so um, anyway, after that, I, I looked the test out of as much as I could, but there were also good classes. Like for instance, there was um, a fiber optics course. Okay. And so, you know, that entails a lot of equipment that I would never have gotten to even see, let alone touch and interact with. And fiber optics, it, what, what it is, you know, it's this cable where the core, it's not metal, it's this very fine glass that's used for telecommunications, internet, you know. And so a lot of it entailed polishing this glass with different grits of um, material to refine it and make the transmission quality better. Um, and uh, different kinds of cables, thicknesses, armors, and there was a rule in the class, you did not eat at your desk, never. Reason being, what does, well, what is, um, what is used to store acid? It's glass. And what does your stomach use to digest things? Acid. So anyway, if you consume any of this, assuming it doesn't get lodged in your esophagus or, you know, somewhere down the line, it's going to be sitting in your stomach lining, and that's an immediate trip to ER. Hmm. So naturally, the first thing the professor did was ask who wants some candy first class of the semester. <laughs> we got the dumb ones. <laughs> what was also significant at that time was there was some budgetary issue where the room that we were in wasn't really up to snuff. Um, there was this big column coming down in the middle of the room. And apparently it was used for like drainage for the school. So, you know, water would puddle up on top of the building. It'd come down this pipe that came down through the column, apparently. And, you know, the idea was it would be exited out somewhere down the line. And the problem, not exactly how it went. They, they told me from the very first day that sometimes it'll get really backed up. And there's this little hole in the floor. And this huge geyser comes out and just soaks the entire room. And now this is a room, mind you, with really sensitive equipment and lasers and expensive stuff. And it just it seemed kind of foolish to me. But I was also secretly hoping it would go off. So every class, you know, it seemed like it would rain every class even. I'd just be listening. I'd hear the water going. I'd be waiting. Is today the day? Is Old Faithful going to go off? Maybe. So finally, one day I come to class and the whole room is torn apart. They're, they're finally dealing with the issue. All right. So we go into the next door room. Same as before, it's a nasty storm, but something different happens. There's a really loud sound of water rushing. And we look in the corner and the carpet is starting to pulsate and move. Oh, no. It's happening. <laughs> so we get out of there. We look back in the original room, and sure enough, there it is, the geyser. Just soaking the whole room. And there's still some equipment in there, so I look to the professor, hey, um, should we do something about this? He's got a lollipop in his mouth, takes out. Nah, they'll buy new. <laughs> wow. And that was one of the more memorable college experiences. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is uh so I digress. That that is interesting. <laughs> From uh weeding out the dumb ones to uh <laughs> the new the new equipment. They'll buy new. And and that really did help you though when it came at the end of the day. 
that uh that college experience did allow you to um learn some new things you spoke about the fiber optics and uh and how that uh how that helps you today did you did you take anything with you um not in regards to uh not in regards to what you use in the workforce but more so what you do with um programming in your free time and uh, video game making? Um, admittedly, in community college, I learned a low amount of technical things, but there were things that helped me professionally. There was a really great course on networking, and it covered a lot of fundamentals that I really didn't have at the time. Gotcha. And it was taught by a really good professor who actually cared. And, you know, that just makes all the difference in the world. And so my approach for college was test out of all the general stuff in any like more simple tech classes, but you know, stuff that you're not sure, take it and you might be surprised. Such was my approach. And that's how you got into the marketing, the marketing or net, not marketing, networking class. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And too, um, for my part, I got an associate's degree. The reasoning was, Hey, if I can get work with that, great. If I need to go back and get more, well, we'll do that then, but we'll see how this goes first. And it went pretty well. Yeah. Did you? I, mm -hmm. Now uh, let's transition into um, the big deal here, because this is a big deal to me. Um, we were on a double zoom date before um, as I uh, ease into this topic. Uh, my wife and I was, were on a double zoom date with a, uh, Ryan and his wife and we're just we're chopping it up we're talking we're you know having a good time laughing and I think your wife brought up your video game I thought she I, I think she brought it up and uh, because you're so modest and humble that you weren't gonna bring it up so she had to <laughs> you got it man I tend to ramble I know it <laughs> like look at that whole geyser story how long did that take no <laughs> she 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 was so proud of you that she said hey you guys you guys know about this video game? I don't know how she brought it up, but she brought it up and we got to see it. And uh, Kayla and I were like, whoa, like this is the coolest thing ever. So let's talk about that. How did everything we talked about up to this point, you saw your dad, you had the Sonics, you had the Zeldas, you had the Crash Bandicoot, you went to school, you're working. How did this game come about? Where did this idea come from? Um, can you talk about that? To answer that question, Q, you have to go wait. Just a second, I think my connection skipped a beat there. Yeah, I had to jump too, yeah. Could have been you, could have been me. All right. So to answer that question, Q, we got to go way back to the distant year. 2015. <laughs> uh, Thought you were going to at least say like 2012. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I had made games with like tools like Game Maker or PG Maker and similar ones where a lot of the programming work is done and you can just kind of focus on making a game. And super great tools. They're still around today. Really refined. Great stuff. But I thought, you know what? I'd like to try doing it just from scratch make my own engine and see what I can do. And so I did. I spent about two years writing a game engine in C++. And half the intent really wasn't even to make a game, much as it was to learn. And in that purpose, um, it worked out pretty well. I'd say I accomplished that. But you just you spend so much time dealing with these minutia problems like, okay, how do I take input from the keyboard, different joysticks, How's a PS4 controller different from an Xbox One? And, and so on and so forth. How do I show all these particles on the screen without it, you know, killing the frame rate? And just all this minutia. So eventually I, I decided, okay, I've, I've about derived all the value I can from this. We're going to move on here. And I stopped. And I moved on to, it's called the Godot engine. It looks like Godot if you see it. Red, G-O-D-O-T. But anyway, I started making an actual game started making some art assets and a character, you know, kind of like the mascot platformers I used to play that was appealing to me. And so, um, so I want his silhouette to be distinct. Um, actually tell you, we're just going to go ahead and show him as I'm talking here. So I'm going to share. 
for some context, if anyone's listening only, um, Ryan's putting up some visuals for us. Um, so I uh, strongly encourage you to watch this on YouTube. So can you see? Yes. All right, wonderful. So here's our guy. So I wanted his silhouette to be distinct and you know, his hat here kind of accomplishes that. Uh, and the hat, I, I started to work it into the gameplay. Like for instance, the hat, it serves as an extra hit point. So when you take damage, you lose it. And it's revealed that Louis is actually bald and he's not happy about it. You see that's furrowed brow, that scowl there. Happy, not so happy. <laughs> so, uh, I wanted to design a character that looks, you know, both cute, but kind of mischievous too. So he's got these great big round eyes and a soft appearance overall. But then, you know, he starts like uh, running fast, faster, really starting to try. His eyes get a little narrower. He starts focusing, gets a little more pointy, a little more angular. And uh, hence the mischievous look that I'm going for. Lose the hat, his little one hair starts flapping in the wind. And this is Louie. So yeah, the name comes from when I was working on my game engine. I'll just stop for now. Comes from when I was working on the game engine I used for a scripting language, Lua. So the idea was they're really down to the metal stuff. It had to be super fast. You program that in C++. But the lighter stuff that, you know, it doesn't need to be so performant. You can write that in Lua. So hence the character's name, Louis, kind of got derived from that. But now it's basically meaningless. Mm -hmm. So trying to like, might even rename. I'm not sure if I'm happy with it. Uh, who knows? But for now, yeah, we're going with Louis. Yeah, that I, sounds like, good. I like the name. And what's the, what's the concept of this game? Um, can you tell us the concept of your game and uh, some of the characters? Can do. So, with the game, the lion's share of the work, per usual, went to programming and the like, but I'm also kind of in my head, whenever I have an idea, try to jot it down and try to piece something coherent out of it. So the story, such as it is, you know, Louis, he works in the hat factory. Diligent employee who's well and truly frustrated with his job, and one day the hat factory just explodes. So, you know, time for a new start. So he looks to his best friend, Cleet, the bum, who is homeless by choice. And Cleet and Louie, they, they decide to kind of go out into the world and just explore and see what there is to see. And that's all I got. <laughs> and that's where all the running comes from. That's where all the running comes from. Mm -hmm. now, now, what are some of the, um, the obstacles in this game? Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to demonstrate here. All right. Cool Hand Podcast exclusive. All right, can you see? I can see and I can hear. All right, wonderful. So we'll go ahead, we'll just demonstrate this real quick. Make that full screen. There we go. So the way it plays, you know, you, it's a side scroller that's mainly focused on momentum. Like you see the slope over here, you hit it at an angle and it keeps your speed going. You get a little faster and you can maintain that. Or this slope coming up here, you roll down it, you get some speed, run up the next, roll down, and you really get going. Look at that. Look at the dirt. Look at the detail. So anyway, early on in the game, it's kind of coming to terms with the momentum, how you can use it, how you can build it. Uh, that music's overpowering. <laughs> so this first boss here, the idea is you're going to use these slopes to the left and right to work your way up to the B and take them out. Now, every hit he takes, every couple of hits, he's going to get higher and higher. So you got to get better and better at what it is you're doing. The first hit, he doesn't even shoot at you. He just waits for you because first boss, players still getting acclimated, and here's what it looks like in action. Mm -hmm. 
awesome. And so there we go. Now, let's let's talk about let's talk about the qualities um, and what you had to do to create this. Now, how long does something like what you just showed um, me and whoever's watching? How long did it take to accomplish this much? Because there's a lot of detail to me. Now, I'm ignorant. I'm not a I'm not a gamer. I'm not big on this topic. But to me, that looks like a lot of detail, a lot of work put in. How long? It's a lot of detail and a lot of work. Yeah. It took the better part of a year and a half. That's how long we've been working on it now. So uh, there you go. And and let's get into um, some of the highs and lows when it comes to uh, creating something like this, because I think this is awesome. Um, so let's talk about, let's get into some of the highs first. Let's do some positives first. Um, what's the satisfaction? What do you get out of um, creating something like this? Let's talk the positives. Well, first, I've just seen it in action. You know, when, as a kid, rum hacking Super Mario World, it's just cool, the, just the uh, inherent satisfaction in doing something, figuring out how it works, and being able to work with it in such a way that you can make something pretty darn neat that it just, you like it. It's for you and you like it. Then too, there's the, uh, you get to share it with somebody and they like it all the more, just as much as you do, you know? Yeah. Like last time that we had this interview, I forget how I explained it, but I described the story just to weave it better. And you're like, I, I was getting into that. Then you stopped. I'm like, that's all I got. But, uh, you know, just at that little bit, that little brain fart of a story, is able to resonate with anybody you know it just it feels really good or too like the character design so i was talking to the man the myth the legend himself <laughs> samson mckeithen and, and he gave me probably one of the greatest compliments that i've ever heard made me feel fantastic uh he's like man i want to plush you that <laughs> and so that's a real high right there you feel really good having yeah. built somebody that makes or built something that makes somebody feel that way. Can probably make that happen too. <laughs> Start getting a Louis merch. Yeah. Man, after hearing him say that, I want to plush you, but I don't even care if I finish the thing. I just, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Some memorabilia. Mm -hmm. and, and what other, um, so the satisfaction of you creating something, something that's pleasing to look at, something that you did for you, and then you have the compliments of others. Um, were there any other, um, you know, highs or, you know, positives that you want to speak about um, when it comes to this? Well, one of my older projects, unfortunately, I didn't particularly value them at the time. I'm like, yeah, oh, this is just, this isn't anything great even though I might've spent a lot of time on it, but now that I'm older and I look back, I'm like, I wish I had those. It wouldn't have been hard to just move them to a new hard drive or similar, you know, but I don't have them now and never getting those back. But some of the games I had made were like for special occasions in other people's lives. Like I had a friend who had graduated uh, prime high school. And so I, I made like a little game for them just to, uh, it was a game of what they had in mind, what they wanted to do next, what their goals were. And so projects like that, you know, I wish I still had them because, yeah. again, people, it resonates with people and they like it and something special. I love it. I love it. I got to, I got I got to speak my piece. I just got to, I love what you just said because it's nice. Now what you do takes some skill that takes skill and you use what you're good at to give. You know, we're giving people, we're taught to give, to be generous with the things and then with things that we own. Um, but you, you own something that's something that a lot of people don't have, um, which is um, the ability to create digitally. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to this podcast now, I don't think you need too much skill to do this. Um, maybe just a little bit of social skills, a little bit, because I'm kind of, <laughs> my social skills aren't great, but I do this anyway. Lord knows 2020 isn't helping with that. <laughs> exactly, right? Because I'm cooped up all the time. But um, there's people who, who genuinely, and a lot of people that I've had on here, like really like it. 
You know what I mean? Like it's, and I never thought with, you know, like, you know, little podcasts, let me interview, not many people watch it, but like a, a lot of people find value in that. So I can relate to what you're saying when you say it feels good um, to offer something to someone else. Like it's, it, it's really true that there's more happiness in giving than there, than there is in receiving. Because if you, if you know you made someone's day with something, with something, it, it makes you feel good inside. Yeah, and you know, you could have a skill where you might not really think that it lends itself to that. Like, how am I going to help somebody making games? Come on. But then you get creative. You think of a way. You know, you might think, you know, what I do isn't really skilled. I just make some knickknacks, or I, I put a couple of things together, and, you know, I think most people really call it ugly. <laughs> then you go, and, and, and you make something for somebody, and you give it to them, and more often than not, it makes their day. Yeah. Not a matter of skill or even like monetary value or something. It's just you did that for them. Yeah. Or it's tailored to them. And a lot of value in that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, one last thing. I'm on the note of sharing. So one of the things that I built for this game was a tool. And what it does is it allows you to make these like smooth curves in the terrain and uh, sharp corners and just a way to really quickly build some complicated terrain. So I built this, I, I uh, participated in building this tool. Somebody else had started it. Then I picked up development later on and I made it free and publicly available, open source. And so I'm gonna show you something somebody else managed to build using that tool. So if you can see here, this is the tool. And uh, if you look at the first image here, this is kind of what it looks like to use it. You have a bunch of points, you drag them around, and it textures it automatically and makes this nice looking shape like so. So if you look down here at the second window, this is somebody using it in action to create something for their game. And over here, we have a GIF of what this game looks like in action. Oh, wow. What in the world is this? This is crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was interesting. That, like, really cap captivated my interest, like, kind of wet my appetite. <laughs> yeah, I want to see this thing finished, too. But it's really cool that I was able to contribute to this in some small way, indirectly, uh, through this tool that I built. They use the same thing to generate their terrain, that big pile of bones that the spider's walking on, you yeah. know? So that's, that's, that's another, like, I know that gives you satisfaction that a lot of people, a lot of game makers can use. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what was that called? Now, what, what program? I don't think it has a name just yet. It's just okay. work in progress. But uh, I think it's just one guy and his friend working on it. Mm -hmm. But the fellow who worked on it, I talked to him, and he was actually able to contribute back to the tool a little bit, tested it for bugs, found a couple, reported them, and he even then went on to fix one or two. So that was really cool. Yeah. This big, like, community project kind of thing. Yeah. They help upgrade your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let's, let's talk... Uh... Now we just we're going on a roller coaster ride because you just took me up here. You just took me to a, a high point. And now we're going down. We're just yeah, we're mm -hmm. gonna get we're we're gonna get negative now. Um how, with everything, nothing comes easy. Um we see progression uh when with what you shared. I'm not gonna say the finished product because I know you're not done, you're still working on it. But we see what this game is right now, and it looks great to me. And we know this just didn't happen overnight. You said you've been working on it for a year and a half. We know you just weren't born knowing how to program and, and things like that. So a lot of things take time. There's a lot of ups and downs. Now, can you talk about some of the struggles uh, that come with uh, creating a game and programming and, 
and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's, there's two I had in mind. The first is, you know, the amount of time and effort it takes to make something like this. And the second is that uh, kind of an imposter syndrome. You know, nothing's quite good enough. That's not real art. That's just something I put together. You know, that kind of thinking. Um, so to address the imposter system, or imposter syndrome, and I'd kind of touched on this earlier with not having saved anything, you know, most everything I made was, uh, it's, it's just, you know, something I threw together. It's nothing special. I never really published anything. And that's why I don't have a copy. It's not on the internet. I just stuck around on my hard drive and that's it. And so uh, one thing interesting too is with other creative endeavors, like for a little while, I was making music in like a digital audio workstation and I'd publish all that stuff. Even though I realized, well, I'm just starting with this and this isn't the greatest thing on earth. You know, I went ahead and I published all that. So now that I'm older and I'm looking back, you know, I think, well, why did I do that? Why was one so perfectly okay to present to the whole world, but the other wasn't? So the thing that I came to is that in any creative endeavor, it can be easy to tether your identity to something you do or that you create. And so for like programming or game development, I knew I was always better at those things. So my, my identity, the core of who I am, is closely tied up in that. So if this thing comes out and it's just not totally perfect, that, that offends me to my core. And it's not a good thing to have. Growing up for me entails getting out of that mindset a little bit. Yeah. Because really, you know, the things you create, they do have value to people like we just discussed. Or even earlier, my little, you know, brain fart of a story that meant to resonate with you just a little bit. And so, well, there you go. You know, in whatever domain your art resides in, you know, don't feel like you're a faker for having made something. That's totally untrue. You know, if you make a table out of wood, not even the whole table, you make the tabletop out of wood, you're a woodworker. You know, you make a 30 second audio loop in like a free version of FL Studio or some other digital audio workstation, you made music, you did it, it's real. You're not a fake audio producer. You know, you, you make a cartoon with stick figures, you animated something, you know? Or you make like a game maker game you spend a month on it. It takes the player 10 minutes to get through it. You're a game maker. You've made a game. And don't like, you know, you did something that the majority of people will never try. They'll never even attempt it. And so that's awesome. You're not fake. You're real. You made something real. And it has value and it resonates with people. So that's the first challenge. The, the imposter syndrome, you know. I respect. Let me ask you one more thing before you go into the second challenge. What type of music were you making? A super electronic, like chiptune, um, robot having a seizure kind of stuff. <laughs> Do you have anything saved? That uh... Yes, I've got it all saved. Oh, man. So that at least I've got covered. If, if you're still willing to share <laughs> your music, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I don't have it immediately available. But I'll tell you what we can. Oh yeah, it, it, this isn't even for the podcast. This okay. is for me. Look at you. Don't have to crawl. Look at, like I can see you on the camera. <laughs> yes. That said, Caleb, I appreciate the effort. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably gonna edit that out because. <laughs> oh dear. You gotta love your wives, you know. You gotta love them. Um. Anyway. <laughs> G.I. Jane over here. Um, so, yeah, music. We were, we were talking about that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if you wouldn't mind sharing, that would, I would love to hear um, some, some classic Ryan archives. The Sounds of Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> the Sounds of Lloyd. <laughs> okay, so um, the second... Your second uh, challenge you were going into, one of your uh, second struggles. Time sink. So I think this applies really, you know, same as before, 
in any artistic endeavor, you know, the amount of time you put toward it. But I do think particularly in game development, this is especially true because, you know, you consider video games and you need to have skills or people in multiple domains. So art, which would entail animation, landscapes and backgrounds, uh, 3D art, if you're making a 3D game, modeling, and the art even kind of bleeds into the level design, how the levels are built and structured. Uh, level design, which itself is just an entire domain, programming to actually make the rules and how it functions, which that's an entire domain there too. Music, you know, uh, you have to match the scenes, kind of like scoring a movie, and it has to loop, which is a tricky thing because, you know, you're playing through a level and you're stuck. You've died 10 times and the music just keeps looping and looping and it's driving you nuts and you're hating it. The song's good, but on the 10th listen, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You can't have that. And then just miscellaneous stuff too, like uh, writing, plot, characters. Um, if you do have multiple people helping you, that's not free work. You've got to coordinate with people, make sure everybody's you know, talking on the same page for the most part. And so really what a lot of people do is they ignore certain domains, focus on others. It's so like for me, focus mainly on the programming, the look and feel of the game. Uh, my art's okay, not the best, so I try to reuse a lot of art and I try to get free music online. That's stuff you heard, not a Lloyd composition. <laughs> gotcha. And so too, with uh, game development and programming, there, there's kind of a self-imposed kind of hustle mentality. And when I say hustle, I mean like the Silicon Valley kind of mindset where you, you work 16 hour days sitting in front of a computer and you wear it like a badge of honor, you know? And it's, it leads to a very unbalanced life. You, uh, you, you got to have your handful of rest with your handful of work. Because after 16 hours of doing anything, you're a little burnt out. You're not as creative as you might be otherwise. And you just don't have time for the things that you should have time for in your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all these domains we just discussed, they all require time to either learn, practice, and iterate in, manage people in, and it just so much time needs to be invested. So when you do start this hobby, any hobby really, but particularly this, you need to know, okay, what are my priorities? What can I not sacrifice to give time to this? And I think that is particularly important because it can just be a massive time sink. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Let me ask you this because you mentioned all of those things and I, and I'm, and I know it's easy. It has to be easy to get lost in your work. I, I can imagine that now this is only my imagination that you're working on something and you're like, Oh, what if Louie on this stage, like he gets uh when he gets hit, he gets a little bruise on his face, a little visible bruise. And then you just get distracted and you start drawing this little bruise. Next thing you know, um, you know, it's two hours later and you're, <laughs> you, you're working on the bruise and then you're like programming something at the same time or you get distracted again. And it all has to do with one thing, but you're getting distracted with different avenues of the same thing. And then so four I, hours in, you finish it and you realize, I hate this. <laughs> Why did I spend time on this? And that's leading up to this question. What's the longest period of time that you went working on um, something? doesn't have to be this game, but something specific. So as a teenager, I, I had my fill of that. I probably would have worked. I probably spent like a 16-hour day working on these things, like I had mentioned earlier. Um, not often, because it's not an enjoyable thing, but I did. Yeah. But then too, you know, as a teenager, you can afford to do that a little more. Oh yeah. But as you become an adult, married adult, you know, that's just not in the cards. And so what you gotta do, you just have to structure your things accordingly. So when I have an idea, even if it's exciting, don't act on it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I go and I write it down. Yeah. And I've got a bank of ideas. And so one day I might be perusing it like, oh, what can I add? Here's something. I forgot I even wrote that down. Or you might see the idea you wrote three months ago and think, that's stupid. That. <laughs> I didn't write that. Yeah. All right. Well, I have one more thing that I want to get into. And this is something uh, that I asked, I asked before. Um, now, you mentioned that you're married. Um, my wife and I have the, uh, the, the pleasure and privilege um, to, to know your wife as well. Um, now, this was something that uh, we talked about before. Um, how has your marriage and, and being in you know, this union, how has this affected your work? Well, the way that it's affected me creatively at least, is that I would say it's given me confidence. So we discussed this a little bit about, you know, imposter syndrome, not saving things, and not really thinking, what I've made, it's not really going to have an effect on anybody. It's not really going to do anything for anyone. I'm just going to throw that out. Well, since I haven't been married, you know, you've got this dependable, consistent partner, who you know, acts in such a loving way and really does encourage you to do your best in just all things, creative or otherwise. You know, it, it helps to give you the confidence to believe that what you do and what you have and what you can create and what you can do for others, that that all has value. And that, that's pretty darn invaluable, I'd say. <laughs> but that is probably the most significant way that my uh, creative life has changed, has improved since I haven't been married. I'm crying. That's a tear. That's a tear. I don't know if, uh, if, I, if that was heard on the mic, but um, that was beautiful. And um, I unfortunately do not have the capability to cry. It just doesn't work with me anymore. I don't know what happened. I just got emotionless over the years. Um, but that was a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> like, I'm so serious. Like, you know, all jokes aside, um, I just poured like some water into a cap and, you know, and uh, and started putting it over my uh, my eyes. But and that was beautiful. I really like that. Um, and we spoke about we spoke about that before, um, how uh, a mate can affect your work. And, you know, and that's and that's like a real testament to. Um, the type of people that you are and uh, the type of uh, relationship that, you know, I'm not in you guys' house, but just having that type of support, someone to strengthen your confidence rather than, you know, <laughs> rather than say, oh, that's all right. I don't, I don't think anybody else would want to. No, um, it's on the complete opposite of what I just uh what I just said. So I think that's a, a beautiful thought. And I'm glad, I'm glad that, um, that you have that confidence because who's to say that you would be willing to share your work with, with us today. So um, behind every great game maker, there is a uh, great game maker's wife. <laughs> I, that is I, totally I and completely untrue. You should see some of these guys, man, they're freaks. Oh, <laughs> sobering thought. All right. So, but one last comment on that. Yeah. I, I just thought of it. You know, every now and again, these old habits, they, they present themselves. And it's like my wife will ask, what it is I'm working on? You know, I'll be doing something creative and I'll, I'll say, you know, uh, nothing much. I'll, I'll just kind of dismiss the question because, you know, the things that I work on, video games, like it isn't really her world. You know, she didn't really grow up playing video games, not really into technology. It's just not her cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And so in my head, you know, this, this really isn't interesting to her. So I just kind of dismiss it. But no, she presses and she pushes for what she wants to know. She wants to see what it is I'm working on. She wants me to talk about it. And then she actually has something significant to say about it. And she really does want to be involved in it. And that, you know, it just, it makes all the difference in the world. Drop the mic. Um, this is the Cool Hand Podcast. Ryan, do you have anything else to say? Because I wish I could just shut it off at that, but we have to do like an outro. So was there anything that I missed? That was beautiful, by the way, seriously. 
Um, was there anything that I missed that I should have asked? Anything you want to, uh, anything else you would like to say? <laughs> Buddy, we can't top that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is the Cool Hand Podcast. Cool Hand Podcast, something you got to deal with. Ryan, thank you for coming on. Easy.